You're now listening to the sound of seagulls circling a idyllic 1950s town straight out of like an Italian neorealist. Whoa, 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 hold on. Just sorry, but let me listen to my block. (laughs) Just talked about this before. Wait, Ben, you're still listening to your block? (laughs) What? I thought that's what we're talking about. Now, for people who don't know, Ben carries around, it's like a brick, it's a block. And he just likes to listen to it, and it tells him, like, you you have friends now, Ben. Talk to them. It's Everybody been an important part of you. my life. Everybody loves you. Man, you don't have to burn them. My block <laughs> is integral to who I am. Right. We've never talked about it on the podcast before, but Ben is always listening to his block. Yeah. And so you go ahead, pal. Listen to your block. Thanks, Nathan. Thanks for understanding me. Mm. Silencio <sighs> Bruno. <laughs> <laughs> That's my that's what my block said too. <laughs> oh man, didn't Silencio Bruno just feel like, all right, we need a thing, a, a yeah, thing in the screenplay to go back to. What's it gonna yep. be? It needs to have like. Uh, we need a hook, that a thread that. Yep. This whole movie kind of felt like that was the level contrived. that the, the screenplay yeah. was written on. Yeah, mm-hmm. and but, yeah, wasn't it probably the name of Alberto's father? Isn't I, that the idea? Probably, but but no, you, they could have said that. I mean. They sort of gave us two and two. I don't know. They could have done no, something. No, I don't think them. they gave us two and two. Yeah. No. I think that's something that you could... You could argue, but... I think that could, that's like a headcanon kind of thing. Right. More than it, than it is a, we gave you two and two. Oh, man. The headcanon on Luca, the expanding universe. Exactly. That we, we've wow. done nothing but imagine new stories set in the Lucaverse. <laughs> so, um, I can't wait until... New gay stories. <laughs> well... That's that's all headcanon in my opinion too. So mm-hmm. hey, we'll talk about it. We're here to talk about Luca, and the reason we're talking about Luca, which is a Disney Pixar thing, for those of you listening six months from now who are like, "What are you guys talking about?" I don't even remember that this was a thing. This this was a minor Pixar movie that was supposed to be released in theaters, but then COVID came, and so it got thrown onto Disney Plus and. Yep. The reason we're reviewing it here in the current timeline is because it's the kind of thing that parents might want to turn on. Summertime, kids at home. Oh, a new Pixar movie and the Disney Plus app. Uh Pixar is cool. Whatever. Let's try it. But at the same time, you have all these uh, little think pieces about whether Luca is Pixar's first gay feature length film. Mm -hmm. This is true. And... One of the reasons for that is that it follows the plot template of a movie from a couple of years ago with Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet, or however you say that guy's name. Chalamet? How do you say that guy's name? Chalamet. Chalamet. Yeah, uh, called Call Me By Your Name, which was a very provocative uh, gay movie, very celebrated by the queer community. Yeah, it was a gay coming of age. Gay coming of age. So Chalamet plays a 17-year-old guy who's having an idyllic 1950s Italian summer, I think. Like, it's kind of a in the style of an old European art film. And he meets this older man played by Army Hammer, everybody's favorite Lone Ranger. That's Army Hammer, mm, right? That's right. Yeah. Also, everybody's favorite guy with weird cannibalism allegations and stuff like that. And they have a gay romance. And Charlie May grows up and finds his place in the world. And it's really creepy and gross. And that movie is actually directed by a gentleman whose first, I don't remember what his last name is, but his first name is Luca. Right. And, and so this is seen as a direct reference to that. Right. And this this being a coming of age story pretty naturally follows the same template. You could make any kind of art. You could make all kinds of arguments that it is just doing call, you, call me by your name. You could also make an argument that it's just doing the little mermaid. Right. Mm-hmm. And 
I, we're, we're, we're here to litigate it for you folks. So I want to talk a little bit about the history of Pixar. I think it's a really interesting story, but and obviously we're going to talk about Luca. We're going to help parents navigate their way through this latest Disney z- disaster or a fine, cute movie that you can watch with your kids. <laughs> You'll find out. <laughs> You just have to keep listening. <laughs> but we're going to first, what is you guys' history with Pixar, your personal history? What, how do you feel about old Pixar? I think it's worth noting, when did Toy Story come out? 90, I was about to look that up. Actually. I want to say 92 or right. 94 or something like I that. I remember being an excited kid. Yeah, it's worth 95. Okay. So yeah. it's, it's worth noting that. We are not we are we do not approach the Pixar story entirely from the perspective of parents or old people who this stuff was not principally designed for. There were there was a long stretch where these movies were made for us. We were always, I guess, a little bit old, except for maybe with Toy Story one. Yeah, I was like 12. Yeah. But even by Toy Story two, I remember it having the stigma of "Ah, it's a kid's movie and I'm a teenager. I still enjoyed it. (laughs) But hmm. there was a, there was at least that tension. I think I don't I don't remember feeling that tension about it. But well, in any case, <clears throat> we we were all kids when these movies started coming out. Yeah, I was super excited. I'm just gonna go jump in yeah. because I remember I saw the trailer. I was like, "What's that?" I'd never seen computer animated anything before. Not like that. I'd seen super crummy computer animated Saturday morning cartoon shows like Reboot, which is horrible. But nothing like that. Mm. And so I just thought, man, this looks fun. Buzz Lightyear is like going down this Hot Wheels roller coaster into a loop onto a ball, whatever it was. And so we were really excited. Yeah, I don't think it's possible to communicate how exciting that the, just the tech, tech aspect of that movie was to yeah. a generation that grew up with it. Like, I don't know how you could explain and make Generation Z understand yeah. how dopey millennials or whatever we are felt about like wow, like we grew up with this 2D stuff and this is this, this is, is 3D. 3D, man. Like yeah. this is cool. And it looks so archaic now. Like the humans look so stupid and plastic and everything. But man, Toy Story seemed so state of the art. <sighs> and then it was like this funny buddy story. It had Tom Hanks and Tim Allen in it. Yeah. Right? And you grew mm-hmm. up with like Home Improvement and Tom Hanks being cool. and Yeah. And it was, yeah. it had Ernest playing... Slinky the dog. And yeah, yeah. Don Rickles. We were, we were all big Rickles heads, right? <laughs> John Ratzenberger. John, John, yeah, we all loved the rats. Uh, we all called him the rats. It was just funny. Yeah. I remember how much my dad liked it. Well, we were it. such Cheers fans, you we, know. Yeah, no. Cheers, uh, yeah. Although, strangely, my brain can't pull it right now. I want to say Arnold, but that's not that's not right. Norm. Norm. Norm yeah, Norm. <laughs> as soon yeah. as you said John Ratzenberger, I wanted to just do it, but I, my, my brain couldn't do it. That's how big of a Cheers fan. I'm more of a Fraser guy, personally. But I like Cheers. Yeah, no, I like Cheers too. I've still never seen an episode. I've never seen an episode of Home Improvement either. But I knew oh. who Tim Allen was. Yeah, yeah. The Home Improvement was like the family show, at least for us growing up and lots of my friends. But I think if you watch Full House, if you watch Cheers now, oh, yeah. you, you may or may not enjoy it. But you would be like, I understand why this is. This is pinnacle. This is the pinnacle of sitcomery. Like this is they're taking this and they are doing the best that you could do with it. Yeah. You watch Home Improvement and you're like, I guess people liked stupid stupid things. things. <laughs> <laughs> I guess people wanted to see that hot girl hold up a screwdriver or something for Tim Allen. Like, yeah, 
It was it's yeah. it's pretty lowest common denominator stuff. But <laughs> in any case, Toy Story was not lowest common denominator stuff. No, Toy Story. It's really rocks. fun. It was funny. Can make you cry. Mm-hmm. It had an awesome ending action scene, chase scene. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was just just, just did everything it you was, wanted. It was in a the complete movie. package. Yeah. And then, so Trace, take us through your journey with Pixar since then, Ben. Yeah, oh, you don't have to talk about every film, but sure. I'll if, just. I, I like Pixar generally. I I don't see everything. I haven't seen. There's some movies that I don't know how it is. I never seen Finding Nemo to this day because that some, was that was huge, but I never saw it. So someday I probably will. Um, I've never seen what is routinely said uh, is the best Pixar film. Like it appears on all kinds of lists as number one, which is Wall-E, but I've I've never seen man. That appears as number one, really? I thought Wall-E was pretty mediocre. That it, people I, just love that first half an hour of Wall-E so much. The first yeah. half an hour was great. Yeah, and I've heard it fall. There's a pretty steep steep drop off again. I've never seen it, but yeah, I think that first half an hour really spoke to. Maybe it's the huh. the, the messaging. There's kind of a progressive message, isn't there? Like Weird. we're going to destroy the earth with recycling or yeah, something like basically. that. Yeah, basically. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Destroy the earthless recycling. It just it just didn't hold up as good storytelling all the way through. It was fun. It had some beautiful visuals and a great opening half hour. But what, What's your favorite Pixar movie, Ben? That's a hard one. That's a hard one. You brought up the good dinosaur on this very podcast. I don't know if you're willing to <laughs> I, stand I, I, on the I, I almost am. I just, I, I enjoy that movie so much and I find it so emotionally intense and I think it's probably... I'm probably just dumb, but um, uh, dumb dumb if I would put that at the top of my list. Not dumb for liking it. What would you say objectively? Like, just has to be. At oh, the top of the list? it's probably Inside Out. I don't know how to top that one. I would have said The Incredibles before that one came out. Yeah, well, they're both they're both certainly in the running. Yeah, I. It feels lame to to go with The Incredibles. But there's a reason to go with it. It's what if you put me in a corner and I had to save one of these for posterity's sake. I'm guessing a lot of our listeners oh, are like uh, so much Incredibles. Fun. Like, come on, why are you guys even having this conversation? It's maybe so, maybe, maybe so. No, yeah, I, The Incredibles is awesome. It's like the superhero movie you were always waiting for. Well, in some sense, it's the victim of its own success because there's so the the culture has been so swamped with that kind of stuff and those the kind of meta takes since then that mm-hmm. it's not able to hit with quite the potency but it's a mm-hmm. testament to how great a movie it is that it still actually hits pretty well when you watch it now even at 10 20 years down the road of, it's almost 20 years old yeah. and so you just Wild. think almost 10 years before marvel right the mcu or anything like that when was when was spider-man when was sam raimi doing Mm. Spider-Man would have been in the 2000. 90s. No, I, I always want to say earlier. I always get the 90s and the early oddies. <laughs> it's it's confused. not bef- it's not pre-Matrix Spider-Man. No, no, no it's way. Post. No, it's it's O2. It's O2. Yeah, so that's right. Like the first Spider-Man movie had come out. Two that's years that's that. that accounts for some of the letdown I felt in like Spider-Man's action sequences because the Matrix had already come out and you were like, now they're gonna do Spider-Man, and then you were like, oh, well, yeah. Well, by that point, 
uh, the Matrix had already been parodied a million times, mm. like Shrek the, and yeah, other. Oh, I forgot crap. Shrek. Has Shrek a ruins lane. everything. What a stupid movie! We oh. have to talk about Shrek. On At some on point, podcast. we'll do. We <sighs> should just do Shrek. We are going to do a, a three to four hour podcast on how bad Shrek is. Yeah. To this, I plight my trust. Oh boy, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be. It's gonna be great. <laughs> Jake, your Pixar experience. I, there are 24 Pixar films. There are, I have seen 21 of them. Wow. I've never seen any cars or planes or anything. Planes is not Pixar. Planes is Let us be Pixar. very clear. Wait, no. what? No. It's just a riff on cars and its success. So Lasseter became the chief creative officer of like all of Disney. And then he I... said, ah, oh, yeah, you guys over on the Disney side can do this crappy planes thing. What in the world? I had no idea. Yeah, no, it's not Pixar. Pixar has some standards <laughs> not enough not to do cars too but enough Worth not to do cars three or cars three but enough not to do planes huh. so can you guess the three that i haven't seen good dinosaur yeah that's one uh you i'm sure you've told me Wally. i've seen onward and i've seen wally no soul no no you haven't seen, seen wally yeah i haven't seen wally that's right finding dory finding dory is the other one is a, another one brave and brave's the other one yep I haven't seen Brave or Finding Dory. Everyone hates Brave, right? Yeah, even feminists hate Brave. Like, Brave is just, everybody kind of agrees it's not a great movie. Huh. Yeah, so I just... Hate is strong. People, pe- there are people that have affection for it, but it's not, it's just not a, a well-loved movie. I, 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 I kind of want to yeah. see it now. now I, just, we're talking I, about yeah, I just haven't, I never bothered with yeah. it. Um, huh. Red-headed feminist propaganda film mm-hmm. that everybody hated. I know, I know, right? Anti-feminists and feminists. Like, why would I bother? Right. We, we, we can all unite as a culture and say <laughs> sure. Brave was meh. <laughs> yeah. So that, and then I never saw, I don't know, Good good Dinosaur and Finding Dory were just back to back. And mm-hmm. good, I mean, Good Dinosaur just disappeared. Like, right. No one heard, no, everyone was like, what? There's a Pixar movie out in the yeah, theater? Good, good Dinosaur just basically didn't happen. They, they didn't know how to market it. Yeah. And how would you? Well, they thought they could just say, Pixar! Pixar and Pixar dinosaur and dinosaurs. Which nope. I think Turn, turns out not uh, not enough. A few years before, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I love Pixar. I think Pixar is a testament to. Well, what am I trying to say? the The fact that I love Pixar is interesting because they are they have enjoyed so much mainstream res- success that, contrarian teenage Nathan, you would think would be like, Ugh, I can't like this, but Pixar's so good that. They will accept no contrarian view. Like you just, you can go into a movie like, oh man, I can't believe my girlfriend dragged me to this. Oh man, I can't believe I have to go with my little siblings. Oh man, I can't believe it's Christmas and our family all wants to go see this instead of the cool movie. And I've been in most of those situations, if not all of them. And it's like they win every time. Like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to watch this. And then they're like, let me just uh, saw open your chest, rip your heart out. And, and force you to like this. And, and steal it and, and, and do whatever uh, I want with it. it. It's it's true. It doesn't matter what. Oh, oh, Coco, this whole concept seems gross to me. I don't like corpses. This is a beautiful, fun, Yeah, exciting... cut to two hours later, tears streaming <laughs> exactly. down the face. <laughs> the, the, the only real miscalculation I really think is up when it comes to that sort of thing. Because they left, they did it so effectively in the first five minutes of that movie that... They left you. Or they left me feeling just used and abused. Well, up is an interesting case for me because I turned it off after that, and I went to bed. 
I, I was watching it at home and I was so devastated. It was like, okay, well, that was a devastating short film. No, I, I'm not really interested in watching some old guy with some balloons now. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, just, I saw it in theaters with my wife. Yeah. So just like, or maybe even, so what was that? 2009. So yeah, I think Amanda <laughs> and I just saw it in theaters. For me, I was 11 when Toy Story came out and you just gr- growing up with Pixar was unironically liking Pixar movies to these are cool, fun date movies. Especially, you know, you're a Christian now and... You still need to see a movie from time to time. Still need to see a movie from time to time. It's a good date movie. It's a good date night movie. Whatever, fun, family-friendly. Well, it's a testament to how effective they are in telling real family films, real family entertainment for every age. Like like, like, like a classic Hollywood movie, like, like, like Hollywood used to be able to do. Pixar really is in the legacy of the people that made Wizard of Oz or... Just some of these classics that we talk about. Yeah, uh, Amanda and I watched Luca last night after we put the kids in bed, and it was like, fine. It's right? not, and it was, and it was nice. It was, it was fine. It wasn't like, oh man, why are we gonna watch this movie? <laughs> mm-hmm. I tried doing that with Madagascar Part Two. Yeah, or, oh, exactly dear. right. Yeah, why are we watching the? Why are we wasting our time watching this movie without the kids here? It's like, no, this is actually probably you can trust Pixar to just be a nice movie experience mm-hmm. by yourself. With your wife, with the kids. Yeah, any iteration. You really can just be a man by yourself and enjoy it. It's better with your wife. It's better with your kids, whatever. But they... they Throw it on at, at a college group, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you can have fun with it at it, it, youth group. Like, Yeah, it's it nice to matter. be able to throw on a Pixar mm-hmm. movie at a youth group event. No, there's going to be minimal references to the fact that people have butts and isn't that funny. Yeah. And... As opposed to DreamWorks, which is like, that's the entire point. That's the use Yeah. The vehicle of animation to groom your kids into sodomy. Yeah. Honestly, it, it is all, <laughs> it is all anal focused. Like it's, it is. it's, it's profoundly huh. disturbing when you start to watch DreamWorks animation, how obsessed they are with that one body part. Yeah. And there's just no other reason that they would be so obsessed except for they have bad consciences. The yeah. best spin you could put on it is they have bad consciences and so they want to groom everyone to be just as perverse as they are. Yeah. The worst spin you could put it on it is that they're an evil cabal of progressive jerks that want to corrupt you. So take your pick of those two. In any case. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like the same thing. They're subconsciously corrupting you or... Or they're just... They're just consciously corrupting Yeah, it, it really doesn't matter. It's... It's awful, awful stuff. But DreamWorks, pretty light on that kind of thing. Wait, you know, Pixar. Uh, sorry, yeah, but DreamWorks, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, no, Pixar, very... Uh, and by the way, while we're on the subject of DreamWorks, it really does make you hate Steven Spielberg. As an executive producer, as someone who so much has so much control, he has been responsible for... I love Steven Spielberg, but... If you, if you know, look at, we've been going through Proverbs at Church of the King. There's so many Proverbs about like, you will know a man by his friends kind of stuff. Like, be careful mm-hmm. who your friends are. And Spielberg has just been associated with so many people who do that kind of thing. And also, he just seems to like to do that kind of thing. So. Right. And he feels like one of those Jewish people who really likes to take our Christian Lord's name in vain and make sure that his characters in his movies do that so Uh there are two places where spielberg's been grooming us for his entire career and it really makes him disgusting even though et is great anyway that was a sidebar now 
Have I said what I think about? Yeah, I said what I thought about Pixar. I love Pixar. Mm-hmm. I've I have some big blind spots when it comes to Pixar. I've never seen Wall-E. I'm just looking through the list here. Never seen the Good Dinosaur. Never seen the Good Dinosaur. That's a big blind spot. I guess the big. I it's guess Wall-E big. is my big blind spot. I guess I've seen most. I have not seen Toy Story four or onward, so I'm a little behind. I turned off Soul. I found it very profoundly creepy and disturbing. I'm fine if people like it, but I personally just the whole concept of we're on a conveyor belt to some kind of afterlife afterlife life is is really scary somehow like i don't like the idea that idea and i i'm not able to disassociate from it enough to ah, it's just a cute metaphor or whatever so i'm not saying you have to be that way but that's how i was so i turned off soul but so yeah these are my thoughts uh, best toy story movie ben Mm. This is tell 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 one a lot about one. Oh dear! Tell tell a listener well, a lot about you. I don't. The one that I just had the most affection for was three. Actually, I think it. I think I don't know. Objectively, again, I'll bring up Amazing Spider-Man two if you ask me what Spider-Man movie I like the most because, and I don't. I think you're squarely in the mainstream on this one. I think everybody <laughs> would say three. Really? I, I, t- two is the masterpiece. That's what people that's, say. That's what I... I think objectively, two is the best one. I think there's a... I think three is the one that... It, it's sort of like... Well, I think they, they managed to do what... It's like Return of the Jedi, or it's like Back to the Future 3, or it's like An American Tale, Five Goes West. Hmm. It's, it's... It has a lot of the things that you love about the first two movies, and... It's fun, and it, I don't know. But then it's, it's still like, really emotional. What if we had this big gut punch it at the is, end? Yeah. It's, it is, yeah. When people say it they love have three, what punch. they mean is they love we're all going to join hands as the... As we go into, into the, the furnace. And then they love, what's his face, the kid. Andy's, Andy's grown up, and so yeah. it's a really nice way to kind of process mortality and all that kind of thing, which the Toy Story yeah. movies in general My metaphors were all wrong and terrible. I apologize for that. <laughs> Wait. Did I accidentally huh? insult you? No. I apologize. No, no, you didn't accidentally insult me. You just, I was just remembering that movie better. Mm. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. It's, it. Oh, what? I know the, what you mean, but. Yeah, oh. the direction I was going was more like they figured out the things that people like about and just sort of reprocess them, but they did take things farther and. That's right. Well, that's what's weird about <laughs> the movie, that though, is of... that you remember it that way. I think you're actually getting at something, which is the first two thirds of that movie are, are kind of Back to the Future 3. But then it's like if Back to the Future 3 ended with this awesome emotional Doc dies and Marty finds right. his place in the universe. Exactly. And, right. it, yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. It, it's, I think it, it really I think tries it, to bring closure to the, yeah. to the series. Right. And it yeah. does a good job. Yeah, and it's weird to me that they made a four, and it's interesting to me that I've never bothered to. Well, see it's it. it's they really did close it really well with Toy Story three, and the only thing that they could do with four is subvert what they did with three, and they do it, and they do it effectively, and they do it well, but I don't really like it. Yeah, I I think Toy Story four is a weird. It's man, it's so beautifully done. Uh, it's crazy. It is how beautiful it, it is. It is the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. That and Frozen two are so you mean visually visually stunning just visually gorgeous yeah like the detail and the color work is just like it's it's amazing it's absurd it's but it has to be watched and those movies deserve to be watched in 4k on the biggest possible screen 8k if you can do that somehow like that's just what they deserve they're like just so pretty but toy story 4 is the most alienating of the movies 
the one that leaves you most like the community is broken apart. <clears throat> We're all going to die alone, kind of. I, I don't know. It just, it just. Yeah, well, Woody's. Woody goes off to die with Bo Peep, basically. Yeah, and yes. forsakes the, uh, his whole premise of we live to serve children. And that's it. And it's like, it, it's like the Steve Rogers ending of I've lived to serve kids my whole life. I've lived to serve America my whole life. And now I'm just going to go get mine. Yep. But plausible deniability because he well, and Bo Peep still go lie around playgrounds and get picked up and played with and stuff. Right. But yeah. Well, you, you, I would trust Pixar to do a better job telling that lame story than, did. than, Mar than the Russo brothers. They did. Of course. You, they did. They did. Yeah. And you would, you'd still tear up and cry. Because they're Pixar and they just do that sort of thing. But when you step back and look, when you get out of the movie theater and you're done with the emotional processing of it and can just process it objectively, you're like, eh, that feels kind of like a betrayal. And I think it's a pretty depressing movie. Yeah. And it's it's one of the weirdest yep. Pixar movies. Well, and yeah, it's just such a thin moral at the end of the day. Nah, I didn't like it. I recommend people see The Good Dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> it's right there in the title. It's good. It is good. Okay. Can I talk about Pixar for a minute? Let's do it. Pixar is a really interesting microcosm of how a Hollywood company works. So I'm just going to take, I, I'm relying on a Hollywood Reporter article that has like this awesome timeline of Pixar. And it's kind of fun to remember who was involved because it's some big names that you know. So 1979. George Lu Lucas enlists a computer scientist named Ed Catmule to lead Lucasfilm's computer division to develop graphics technology, CGI. And we actually, uh, fun fact, folks, we had an aborted recording of this where we were talking and a point that Jake was making, which I want to make sure is made in this new version, is that George Lucas is really awesome and forward thinking because this is 1979. This is two yeah. years after New Hope. Yeah. Hits. And it's just what you love about George the Lucas. The second he has any capital to spend. I've got money. I'm investing it in technology that's going to push the entire film industry forward. And it's going to, it may not pay dividends for 25 years, but that's, that's the direction. He had the vision, the foresight and the, and the will to just go for it. And that's what he always does. And that's, yeah, I just love him for that sort of thing. Oh, they really want me to make more Star Wars movies. Well, that means paydays, and that means pushing the tech forward. Mm -hmm. It's like, and I am going to push the tech forward in a way that isn't even going to ultimately serve these Star Wars movies so well. And I'm going to bear everyone's scorn because these are the movies where we were figuring it out, as opposed to the movies where we'd actually landed on how to make it all work. All these other filmmakers That's are going to be praised. Oh, Peter Jackson, yay! Gollum's such, so great. Well, Gollum's great because Jar Jar. Exactly right. <laughs> because the most hated. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, and then you, you're still paying James Cameron or even everything today is built on the fact, everything you love today, that CGI is built on the fact that George Lucas decided, one, in 1979 to invest in this company and two, in the 90s to burn his prequels on pushing everything forward in terms of CGI. And it really is, talk about the hero's journey. George Lucas comes in, he saves Hollywood. Hollywood has gone so far. What's the nice way of saying when you go inside yourself? 
and it's a bad thing. <laughs> Hollywood in, is in not, its own navel. Yeah, uh-huh. Hollywood has become so navel gazing and artistic and all this and sexually debauched. And George Lucas comes and he saves the day and he says, we're just going to do fun stuff and make money. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, wait, you can do that? <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is great. He changes the industry. Made Francis Ford Coppola sad. <laughs> yeah, made Francis Ford Coppola and Scorsese sad. But hey, they both ended up making lots of money too. So I think we're all doing okay. Coppola sells wine to people. Well, the thing is, you don't get to be Scorsese or Cop- Coppola unless you have a George Lucas to for people to be rebelling against. Well, and... And wanting something... Somebody needs to make yeah. the movies that make money. Yeah. They, they can say, okay, here's 10 million, Marty, go make Last Temptation of Christ or whatever thing that we know everyone's going to hate. Right. <laughs> but where's that 10 million coming? It's coming from, from Star Wars Spielberg. <laughs> or something like, or Jaws or whatever. Mm-hmm, right. It's because we have a couple guys that can make money that we can do anything artistic. And that's always the way it's been. And so I appreciate your George Lucas's. But he comes in, he saves the day, he defeats the evil empire. And then just like a proper... Campbellian mono myth. He's not appreciated. He can't make his peace. Frodo can't just settle down in the the, the Shire, and so he he pushes on. He he goes. He gets on that boat and he goes to. He basically he sells his company for a billion dollars to Disney and lives to watch them destroy everything that he built. Um, <laughs> well, he has a couple guys on the inside that. Yeah, while a new generation of heroes arises to to maybe save the day from the evil empire. Yeah. So and and that would be your Filoni and your Favros. So it maps perfectly and be careful of the stories you tell cuz you might be telling your own. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the bill. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why the bill ends really happily. Maybe. <laughs> So anyway, George Lucas is awesome. I love that it's 79 that he's developing CGI. It's like the second he has, in 76, George Lucas is nobody. He's a movie brat that they're thinking about. Can we, should we give money to, to him to do this Star Wars thing? The second he has influence, capital, and money, he throws it into spend computer graphics, into all it, kinds of it, things. Spend it, spend it. Yeah. Invest it. And then another gentleman who's the same kind of forward-thinking gentleman, Steve Jobs, comes along in 86. Little Nathan is one year old. Little Jake is two years old. Little Ben is four four years old. Can you do math? <laughs> what year were you born? <laughs> I'm learning. <laughs> so uh, Steve Jobs pur- purchases Lucasfilm's computer division, launches it as a company named Pixar. That same year, 86, they make this short called Lexo Jr. It's a little Lexo's little lamp that... Yeah, the iconic lamp, and then they they go to work, and and that's actually John Lasseter who's brought in as a creative as an artist to do this. He he gets he does that short. It wins the Oscar for best animated short. Ninety five. And, and, and here's the thing, uh, Disney Renaissance is happening. Right. The two D animation stuff is like back in power. Like, and these guys are like, yeah. We're just going to be the what's next. Like, we're not investing in that. We are not going that direction at all. We're going to be the next well, big and thing. One of the fascinating things about the Renaissance is how quickly it was just stamped out and destroyed. Like, Yeah, toy, well, Toy Story hit the scene. Yeah, Toy Story what? hit in 95. It's over. They changed the game. It's over. Yeah, you have a couple of years of things that were already in production, Lion King, stuff like that, but it's over. So... That comes out November 22nd, earns $245. 
$245. Holy cow. What did they do with all that money? Two hundred a nice meal. Yeah, $245 million, which was money back then. $245 million is nothing now, but that was money. And Pixar's initial public offering, a week after Toy Story, Toy Story comes out, they go public, become the year's largest IPO, double stock price on its first day. Steve Jobs becomes a billionaire off Overnight. of Pixar. That's what, huh. that's what actually gave Steve Jobs his you're a jerk money. 2006, Bob Iger buys Pixar. So, so then they, they start making movies and John Lasseter's in charge and it takes them a while actually to find their footing, I think, because Toy Story 2. Is, or you have to- a Bug's Life right after, tw- yeah, after yeah. Toy Story. Bug's so, Life. So Toy Story is <sighs> just fine. I love Toy Story. It's a it's a perfect movie in a lot of ways. It's also a movie that plays it pretty safe. Like mm-hmm, right. we're going to do a, form- a buddy formula story. Mm-hmm. We're going to hit all these beats, really predictable, done really well, but- and in a world you've never seen before. Yeah, they're, but they're just, they're being smart. They're saying, we mm-hmm. have this crazy world. We have this crazy technology. Let's not challenge people, people's sense of narrative here. That would be the dumbest thing we can do. Let's, let's play it safe. But, but Toy Story plays it very safe. And then Bugs Life plays it really safe, too. We're just going to do the Seven Samurai plot. Right. You know, <laughs> uh, evil Kevin Spacey's uh, cricket guy is beating up our town, and we got to go find some. Hopper. Yeah, Hopper. <laughs> And I like Bugs Life, but it doesn't really hold up as like a, a great iconic classic. No, I mean, we watched it all the time as a kid, as kids, but that was because of uh, lack of options. Yeah, it's not one that is followed you into your adulthood. And no, it's not like I've, I've not gone back and had any de- desire or inclination to show that to my kids. I think it really, they find their stride with Toy Story 2. And Toy Story 2 is, Disney already has this deal with them. And Disney's like, we need sequels. We need product. We need, hey, did you see Return of the Jar? Return of the Jar? Did you see Return of the Jar? That made a lot of money for us. <laughs> that made $245 for us. <laughs> did you see Return of Jafar? Like, we're, we're pumping out this crap, and kids will pay for it. Can you pump out some crap for us? And so Disney basically has a gun to their head, do this sequel for us, turn it out quickly, and they're just like, nah, bro, we'll keep your fast schedule since you have a gun to our head, but we're going to make, we're going to just, if it's if it's okay with you, we're going to go ahead and make a masterpiece. And it's going to, ask questions about uh, mortality and, and death and being left behind. And we're yep. going to get Joan Cusack to sing a, a really sad song. And we're going to rip everyone's heart out of their chest, Temple of Doom style, and then lower them into the lava of existentially dealing with your place in the universe. <laughs> um, and then bring them back up as people who have seen Toy Story 2. And we're going to go throw in a great Star Wars joke back when it, Felt fun to actually uh-huh. uh, reference things and do references back when I am your father actually felt like a cute reference you could use. And, and, and we're going to throw in all kinds of little jokes. And this is before DreamWorks is in Shrek and everything have ruined this. We're going to have the dinosaur chase after the truck and it's going to be the same shots sequence from Jurassic, Jurassic Park, Park and the, the little mirror that says the items may re- occur or sorry i, I speak uh, english folks <laughs> objects and mirror are closer yeah <laughs> objects and mirror are closer than they appear <laughs> that's a nice <laughs> philosophic statement isn't it, it items is. may occur i like it <laughs> that's that's like ontology 101 right there 2006 bob Iger buys buys pixar or buys pixar <laughs> but again i, I still speak can in. talk well talk good so Pixar, ha- Pixar has this string of masterpieces. 2006, 
Wally is the big year for them. This cat mule guy who is just the computer programmer that Lucas hired way back in 79 becomes the president of both Pixar and Walt Disney Animation Studios. Lasseter becomes chief creative officer of both of them. Wally in 2008 wins the best picture. Uh, picture up in 2009 opens Con Film Festival. Big deal. Toy Story 3 in 2010 grosses $1 billion worldwide. So Pixar just has this string of storytelling success, financial success, everything. They really do become the one-stop shop. Cynical people who like jokes can see them. Sentimental people who like having their feelings manipulated can see them. You can take your date and not she won't feel insulted and you won't feel insulted. You don't have to have a kid, but also kids love them. Just really the perfect Hollywood entertainment entity. It, it, it's just great. And much of its success is predicated on having a great story department. And as much as Pixar has done all this PR over the years about like, ah, oh, we're all open-handed and we live in a big Google kind Super of complex. collaborative. Everybody's co- involved in everything and yeah. nobody can t- claim credit for any one thing. Yeah. Oh, the janitor made an offhand comment and now he's our chief executive, you know, of <laughs> whatever. Yeah, that kind of, that's the narrative they want to tell. Never believe that narrative. It's never true about, it certainly wasn't true about Apple. It's only true about Warhorn. Actually. Yeah, it's only true about Warhorn. Well, you can have brain trusts and and that, that's 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 what Warhorn kind of has, and that's what Pixar has. So Pixar had a, a group of five guys. They were literally called the Brain, brain Trust, and it was uh, Lasseter. John Lasseter was in charge. And then you had Pete Doctor, famous as the director of Up and of Soul. And Inside Out and, Inside and Out. Monsters University. And, and Monsters University. Sorry. No, no, no. Yeah, Monsters. Thank Inc. you. Inc. So Pete Lasseter, he's a very conceptual – or sorry – Pete Lasseter. Pete Doctor, very conceptual guy. He wants to ask big questions about the universe, about personality, about this kind of stuff. Then you have Andrew Stanton. And what is his most what is Andrew Stanton? Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo. Okay, yeah. And Wally. And Wally. And then you have Brad Bird, who is famous is famous for the Incredibles, also famous for going on to a career as a not animated director. Plus Ratatouille. Yeah, and Ratatouille. Yeah, and before any of that, the Iron Giant. And the Iron, but but really, and he was an animation consultant. He helped set the tone for The Simpsons and everything like that. He's just a big animation guy. But Brad Bird moved out of animation and into live action stuff. Uh, but obviously, a genius. We've talked about him on this podcast before. Yeah. And the reason I said The Incredibles is because I think The Incredibles is probably what they're going to have to carve on his tombstone. I just can't imagine. I love Ratatouille even more, but I don't know. Yeah. And, and the Iron Giant is maybe my favorite animated film. Right. And I, I don't disagree with any of that, but the first line of his obit when he dies will be is the Incredibles. The, Incredible. the yeah. director of The Incredibles dies will be the, the headline. headline. Yep. He's just, he's, he would have to make some kind of masterpiece to, to exceed that, yeah. to ever scrub that off of his tombstone. Mm-hmm. And then Which his forthcoming musical may be. Yeah. If anybody's going to pull huh. another one out of his hat, that's just genius. But you got to appreciate. So I'd say the, the in the last decade, Bird has swung and missed as much as he's swung and hit. But man, he always he swings. swings big. Incredibles yeah. two, I don't like it. I don't think that it's a good movie, nah. but it's a swing. And I've never seen Tomorrowland. Apparently, it was a big swing, and apparently, it was a big miss. 
he always has something to say. He always has something on his mind, and he always. Except when he's doing a Mission Impossible movie. Yeah, then he all was he just has like, to say is, "Here's some fun action." Right. I'm going to make this as much fun as possible, and he did. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. still that same conceptual kind of uh, brain. Like, I love spy movies. I love action movies. How can we? What did Spielberg do? Like, how can I look at this and how can I just polish it until it's just better than everything else? And he's he's just. Bradbird's a genius. And then there's a fifth guy. I don't even remember who he is. He's not important for our discussion today. But they had a brain press of five. And the problem is, well, there are two problems. Number one, Lasseter became the chief creative officer, not just for Pixar in 2006, 2007, but also Disney. His attention began to be spread all over the place. And you saw the fruit of that in like Frozen and in a lot of Disney success. Right. Um, Lasseter was also consulting on their theme parks. He is just like, he's a genius and they wanted him everywhere. Yeah, but it for meant good that, reason. For good reason. And it made everything better. But Pixar suffered a little bit. You started to see more sequels, more Cars 3 and... Yeah, well, Disney wanted, Disney wanted their name. Right. To be bigger than the name of Pixar at the end of the day. Yeah, and, and that's why they bought Pixar in the first place. It yeah. was not because it was not just because they wanted to add Pixar. It's because Disney couldn't stand being subordinated to Pixar. Well, people may have heard of a principle. It's called the Peter Principle, or I think Scott Adams adapted it into the Dilbert Principle, and it is that employees are promoted based on their success in their con- per- current position until they reach their level of incompetence and are no longer promoted. So the idea is that in any company or institution, people just keep rising until they become incompetent and the organization <laughs> falls to pieces. And I don't think that that's always how it works or has to work, but I think that that's actually a good way of understanding what happened to Pixar. So Lasseter just keeps stretching and he just keeps being a genius, but then suddenly he's the genius who's in charge of everything and everything's okay, but there's a good argument for keeping Lasseter on as just your Pixar guy and letting Pixar just be awesome. As opposed to everything being okay. There's not a good corporate argument for that, but there's a good artistic argument for it. But hey, we're here to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happens in 2017 is that last the Me Too movement sweeps the nation. Lasseter gets Me Tooed. It's a mild Me Tooing. Like he was hugging female employees too long. He was in creating an environment that was on blah, blah, blah. It's not like he had any kind of perverse act that you could really pin on him. And they, they, it's Disney's PR machine. They didn't go super public with a lot of what it was. But in any case, he goes on a sabbatical and... At the same time, in the same year, Skydance decides that it's going to start an animation department. Right. And a year or two later, we find out that Lasseter has become the chief creative officer of that. Of Skydance Animation. Of Skydance. And he's brought over Alan Menken and they've got a bunch of projects slated to start coming out in 21 and 22. So basically, Lasseter being a genius realizes, oh, I'm not coming back. Disney's, Disney's got a brand to maintain. I may be on a sabbatical, but I better start having conversations with whoever I want about whatever price I want to save their company and make it awesome. <laughs> and so that's exactly... Yeah, and Skydance is... Skydance is... They have uh, the Mission Impossible movies. They have the Star Trek movies. They have... Jack Reacher and Terminator properties and Top Gun and G.I. Joe. And right. Stuff like that. So that's the kind of, so J.J. Abrams steps, Annihilation was a Gemini man, stuff that was, wasn't really great, but. Yeah. So they've worked a lot with Paramount Pictures, 
kind of the Jake just named a lot of sort of Paramount catalog titles there. Um, yeah, they're like, bad robot. Yeah, JJ Abrams. Right, and, and that's all. That whole group is kind of associated with Apple as well, and you'll you'll see a lot right. of Apple. So Skydance Animation just released its first short as an Apple TV exclusive. That's a Lassiter joint. It's eleven minutes long. It's called Blush. I haven't seen it. Huh, it's right. just there. But that's their like, hey guys, we're here and we're cute and we're cool and we're doing stuff. Right. And expect us to to come out swinging big here in the next year or so. Right. Well, so returning to the the Dilbert principle or the Peters principle, Lassiter's gone and then everybody kind of gets promoted into places where they're not as good. So Brad Bird gets promoted into being a, a live action director. He's pretty good, but also he makes Tomorrowland and Incredibles 2 and a bunch of things that don't hit. I guess Incredibles 2 hit, but does anybody really love that movie? Maybe they do. I don't know. I don't love it. Kids love it. Yeah. Tomorrowland didn't hit. He's made at least one other that's not popping into my mind because it didn't hit. What well, is the Mission Impossible? Yeah, Mission Impossible. So uh, Brad Bird's the exception, really. He did a good job. He's he's landed. But Stanton gets promoted to do this thing called John Carter of Mars, which nobody liked. And I, I would have loved to have liked it, but it just wasn't good. He gets promoted into live action. and It's a mistake. And they throw millions of dollars behind John Carter. And John Carter just doesn't hit, doesn't happen. Pete Docter now is the chief creative officer of Pixar. He's the guy that did Up and soul and inside out and likes the and he's a very sensitive shy retiring lasseter if you've ever seen him he's like he's got a hawaiian shirt and he just fills the room with energy and he's like one of those kind of producer guys apparently like to hug people and all that he's just a he's a very outgoing type guy doctor's very retiring all of doctor's pr and the interviews and stuff has, has been like we had these five guys that were running everything. We need women. We need black people. We need LGBT. We, so we've established it that we're going to have this and that and then the other thing. And our brain trust is now 50 people and they're represent and at least 50% of them are this or that. And I don't know how much of that is true. I don't know how much he ultimately still relies on the same three or four white guys to ultimately make the decision. Because Pixar always would have said that, like we said at the beginning, that, that they cast a wide creative net even as they basically had a four, a five, five white guy, middle-aged white guy brain trust. So the group kind of fragmented that was the brain trust. Disney asked for a lot of sequels and got them, including two cars sequels. Lasseter spread his energies and then he got me too'd. So these are all some of the reasons behind why Pixar is not exactly the trustworthy entertainment Brand. brand that they were circa 2005, 2010. Yeah. They felt a lot of pressure from Disney to do a lot of sequels. One thing that doctors said, and it, it might be PR or it might just be a real creative vision. We can only time will tell, as he said, we need to do less sequels. We need to not, we need to, we need to at least have a two to one ratio. We need to do two new properties for every Cars 4 or Toy Story 5 or whatever. And fair enough. That's what any idiot looking at them would say like you guys made your brand on bold imaginative stuff why are you why are we getting monsters university come on even if you liked monsters university that can't be pixar's bread and butter bread and butter mm -hmm. and it can't feel like monsters cars and toy story is just no we need we need something there are so few mm -hmm. entities that you can sell people you can sell an audience on a star quality like, oh, I'll go see anything that Tom Hanks does. You can sell them on a proper now, I, IP. Like, I like to see Marvel movies. You can sell them on a genre. I just see every horror movie. But it's pretty hard to sell them on just 
a brand. Like, yeah. I see every Paramount film, for example. Would anyone ever say that? I see everything that Miramax puts out. No. Every Skydance film. Every Skydance. Nobody thinks that way, except yeah. in rare occasions. And Pixar was one of them. They had so successfully branded themselves that it was just mm-hmm. like the new Pixar is coming out. Yeah, well, they were the, and, and again, some of this is jobs. Like they were the Apple of the film industry. It's like, well, a- everything Apple does is going to be quality. And that was mm-hmm. yeah. true for Oh, a the long. new model. Oh, Steve Jobs wants to sell me uh, this kind of thing. He wants to sell me a pen. I had better okay. buy it because it's going to be awesome and change the way that I think of pens. And, or, and uh, yeah, everybody's you know, going to be is. talking like, about Steve Jobs' pen. So I don't want to be the one person that doesn't have Steve Jobs' pen. Mm-hmm. And it will be cool. Right. It oh, Steve Jobs cool. has some pocket lint? Okay. Here's, wow. Here's $1,000. Revolutionizing pocket lint. Yeah, this is great. Man, my pockets <laughs> feel so accessible and easy to use. <laughs> that really was what Pixar had done. And it's so rare to, it, you can't do it with brands, and brands do it all the time. But in the entertainment industry, it's usually linked to a personality. Nobody knew who Lasseter was. They all knew who Walt Disney was in the first half of the 20th century. To be able to just say, this is an entertainment brand that families trust, that Christian families trust, that pagan families trust, that everybody loves and everybody trusts, mm-hmm. it's a relatively rare thing. In the 20th century, you have Disney, you have Charlie Chaplin, you have Spielberg, you have, you could name a handful of entities or that people. for a limited time had that trust. Right. And Pixar had it. Mm-hmm. And they still kind of do. Kind of. Yeah. I don't know what else does. Spielberg doesn't. No, Spielberg. No. Spielberg's right? lost not for it a long forever. Time ago. Yeah, yeah. There's just no. There's just nobody. There's nothing that still has anything like that. Marvel as an IP. Marvel Studios. Right, but if Marvel made a courtroom drama, nobody cares. Nobody That's cares. Right. We're, we don't trust Marvel so much that I. I just want to see anything. They, they no. can't sell me their pocket. No, they can actually. just sell me the MCU. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Star Wars, kind of the same thing. And Pixar, Disney sort of has that, but so many people, even pagans, are wary of Disney as a big evil corporation that swallows things up and that actually doesn't care about its audience. Yep. We all sort of understand that the J.K. Rowling was going to have that, but then she... Yeah. Well, J.K. Rowling made any number of mistakes. I think J.K. Rowling just didn't go away. And that was her, I think that was actually her big mistake. I think she should have gone away for at least 10 years after Harry Potter. Hmm. I think the casual vacancy, whatever, it might be a great novel. It might be a terrible one. Don't know. Never read it. Never will. Same thing with those Robert Galbraith things. J.K. Rowling just needed to disappear for a while. That was the only play that she had. And she, she, she just kept talking and giving interviews and stuff. And it's like, there's nothing that you can say that isn't going to detract from your brand. There's just, there's, and then on top of that, she said a bunch of really stupid things like Dumbledore was gay and you mm-hmm. know, she, 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 just, she started pandering mm-hmm. to what she thought her audience was. And then she found that she had a line that she couldn't cross. And which, good for her. But yeah, but she'd crossed so many other lines in her pandering that she that not crossing the next line felt like a betrayal to a bunch of people and mm-hmm. so you know no, now she's just caught between a rock and a hard place mm-hmm. and people are still going to go see the next three fantastic beast movies but mm-hmm. not as many truly not as many i i saw once stephen king in a uh, giving an interview with charlie rose back before charlie rose got me too and stephen king said no oh, charlie the sad thing is i could literally publish my grocery list 
today and and they would publish it. I am that powerful. And and it would sell a million copies and I'd make a lot of money. But I'll tell you what wouldn't happen. They wouldn't buy the book that came next. That came next. Yeah. And that's what so many of these brands and IPs and, and end up doing to them things don't understand. And mm. Pixar, maybe they'll take it back. We'll see. We'll see if Doctor has what it takes. Uh, we'll see how Lassiter doing something else. Well, in you know that Lassiter is going to have the longest leash in the world at Skydance. Mm. I mean, I read you Skydance's IP mm. and the projects in partnerships, they don't have anything close to what uh, Lassiter is has right. done and hmm. and he's coming over and saying i'm gonna bring in alan minkin i'm gonna i'm gonna bring over some of the very best disney people the very best pixar people you just let me go and they're gonna throw money at him and he's gonna it, unless unless it's poisoned with his bitterness mm-hmm. I, he's a, a new challenger has entered the ring and it's it's skydance and what we'll see next year starting next year what they do with they have two movies coming out next year Mm-hmm. Huh? Huh? Spellbound and what else? I had it up. I mean, Spellbound didn't look to me like Unleash Your Bitterness on Disney kind of a movie. Skydance specifically. But there's so little information Sky about Dance it. Skydance animation. Sky, okay, yeah, I'm not looking at their animation. Luck actually comes out before Spellbound. Hmm. So Luck in February and Spellbound in November. See, I don't think Lassiter has to be bitter. There, there may be reasons why he might feel bitter. but. If he's smart, he won't lean into that at all. Because what Lasseter can actually do, if he really plays his cards right, and if he makes a few, if he has a few big hits, he can attract pretty much the entire talent pool. <laughs> Honestly, if you're Pete Doctor and you're in the position of being, oh, I've got to be the chief creative officer of Pixar. I've got to show everybody how woke we are, or I could retire from Pixar and go do the same thing and have the same great relationship that I always had with Lassiter over at Skydance. Like, I don't know whether Doctor will make that decision, but you've got to imagine it would be a juicy prospect for any number of... Seems like it could be easy to attract Brad Bird to a project once in a once in a while or something. Yeah. Does Brad Bird, would, would he rather be in the spotlight over with, with Pixar and have to make all these weird compromised decisions because it's just gotten so big? Or would he rather just go have fun with John over at Skydance, I, I would think it would be an easy decision for anyone. Skydance just doesn't have the pressure. Yeah, the only reason not to make that decision is because Disney is such a powerful corporation that if you cross them, they will crush you and you will never work in this town again. Right. And so that's why, that's what John Lester has. Over here, we're offering you a bigger check than Skydance can ever give you. And over there, we're telling you, if you go to Skydance, we will end we've you. got your dirt, we've got the skeletons, we know where the bodies are buried, and... Yeah, we will end you. Yeah, which is probably why John Lasseter loses, actually, because no one, no one tries to take down the mouse. But he's got, so he's got for Spellbound, he got Mencken, he got Keel Murray, who wrote Cars, and Peggy Holmes came over from Disney, which I don't know what she's done, but That's she came over from Disney. So I don't know, in any case. That's kind of a little history lesson, some context on what Pixar is and where they are at. And so that should tell you everything you need to know about whether to let your kid watch Luca. I know what I need to know. Yeah, I do too. I watched it. Luca is positioned interestingly. It's a, it's minor Pixar at a time when I'm not sure Pixar 
can really afford to have minor Pixar. They really need to have be having these things hit. Mm-hmm. And Onward didn't really hit big. I know. I think you guys have both seen it and both liked it, right? Yeah. Yep. But I, I don't know that it made a... Onward's better than... Oh, no, I don't know. Soul? Yeah. Well, I think it's... Onward's better than Luca. I, I think it's better than Luca and Soul. I I haven't seen Soul. Yeah. I turned Soul off, as I said, for entirely personal reasons. I didn't like it for conceptual reasons. Like, I didn't like the trailer. I was really irritated. But, I don't know. Conceptually, I, be, I don't like it. I might be able to argue that my personal reasons are, in fact, solid objective reasons. I'm just, I'm just not prepared to do that right now. So, that's why I keep adding the little asterisks to it. Mm. But, in any case, Luca. Bright, colorful, fun. Sweet. Yeah. Cheap. With, what, what did you say? Cheap? Cheap. It gets really cheap in the end. In my opinion. Yeah. It sells out, I think, a good... I think the first two thirds set up a stronger close. I would argue this movie has a great second act. And the third act is pretty weak, like you were just about to I, say. And I think it's cheap. The the, the the first act also pretty cheap, I think. Yeah. Uh, the yeah first well, the first act was just like... They they move so quickly through the Little Mermaid material. Exactly right. Like, That's what I was going to say. The first act is just like... Let's get through the Little Mermaid setup here. I couldn't believe how quickly he became a human. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was super fast, wasn't it? Like we didn't have time to really. Is, they were just like, uh, "Hey, he's a guy. He longs for something." Uh, well, what they what part of what they did is if we just throw in a couple references to the Little Mermaid, that's all it's going to take for people, and let's not belabor it. And so we got some junk, some sea junk, and a literal like a whole new world reference, and then. Boom, it's over. But you still have to... I'm all for cutting to the chase in these kinds of... There's so many movies these days that spend so much time on obvious plot points. Like, we know he's going to accept the mission. We don't have to spend too much time with him rejecting the call, whatever. But also, you have to make the stakes clear and land emotionally. And this movie is so quick. It's just like, ah, yeah, he longs... It would be like if Little Mermaid didn't have part of your world. If you just cut out that number. Yeah. And you just just told everybody, Ariel really wants this and uh, now she's got it. Well, also, Luca is like I said a whole new world, didn't I? Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. But we knew what you were were part of our world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also, Luca's like a fish shepherd and that's supposed to matter. But then it's like... But then 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 he leaves his post and the fish are fine. We don't don't get much of a sense of a world under... Yeah. A whole new world under there. Well, it's... As soon as it's convenient to him, he can just start rounding up the sheep for his one-armed fisherman father figure that we just now accept. Right. Right. It doesn't make any sense. Right. Oh, the sheep are that I'm supposed to be protecting and that I'm scared of it. That they graze over here at this time of day. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I didn't like, think. There I are a lot of really that cheap things. Last night. There are a lot of really cheap things like that that they just really want you to accept. Oh, I even said it out loud going into this. We are arcing out of the water, and as we arc out of the water, we go human, and then we come back in, and that's mm-hmm. enough to dry us off enough to be fully human. Mm-hmm. I said, as soon as they get into that town, all the rules will change, and the slightest touch of water will be a threat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, well, they got clothes on, and they just came out of the water, and suddenly they're human. It's just like morning dew does it to them. Yeah, the morning dew yeah, does yeah. it to them. The slightest, you yeah, know, that is very splash cheap. of. But they can eat food, which contains hydrogen content and <laughs> oxygen content. I, I dare say, uh, ice cream. You know, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's just like the you have to. You can get away with a lot of rule bending and stuff like this, but if it it just can't feel like it. You can gesture towards rules that work that you don't explain, but you have to have it all figured out 
as as the filmmaker, oh, yeah. as the artist. Like you have to kind of know how it works, and then we, we'll go along with a lot as an audience. But yeah. what you can't do is just Blatant say contradictions. I, I never really figured it out, and who cares? You know, you want the story to work this way, right? Um, and that's what it does. That's what it does. And 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 they do the same cheap trick in the third act, where it's like, oh, this village of sea monster hunting people with statues of killing sea monsters and everybody's trying to kill the sea monster is just suddenly up. Oh, they won the race and we're going to accept them. Right. And mom and dad now after all this time are just like happy. They're happy and, to be in the above world. And they've, and they've learned a lesson about how bad a parents they were. And yeah. Yeah. I felt like the whole time, like what just wasn't earned. I, well, I, it wasn't earned. And and if you're watching it the whole time because you're like you read something about as Luca, a gay movie, then then you're and you're trying to figure out the messaging. What you realize is the film doesn't know its own messaging, except in unless it's the most which I think it is, the most generic kind of messaging. It's not particularly gay. Which, which is a sweet little coming of age friendship story. And it you know, it's got its touching moments and stuff like that. And it's gonna it still can jerk a tear from your eye and it's just fine. And it's still going to have gay primed lines like, there will be some people who will never accept him, but I'll always be able to find the ones who do, which is like, in our context, that's just, a, that's just primed, that kind of line to... Yeah, but like we said at the top of this Hopefully recording? not the aborted... Maybe it's new, maybe at least I already said it, but uh, go ahead and say it, whatever it is. In any coming of age story, you can have a queer reading on it. Right, just yeah. like Ratatouille can have a queer reading, yeah, but it, but it still felt, but you, but you can have a more or less intentional, like here I'm giving this line to you because I know you'd like to have this reading of it, right? Well, yeah, and and the and the intentional shots of touch too that made me right? uncomfortable. There, there are about three shots where it's like a little far for I think an American boy, mm -hmm. right? Just the some of that touch, yeah. Maybe not far at all for an Italian boy. Probably no. not. Or no. or a Spanish boy or, or something like some other culture, right? Yes. That is more affectionate and, and maybe may more healthy in its... Well, it's worth saying this director sure. is Italian and okay. Nico Casarosa is an Italian storyboard artist. Yeah. And, and so, I, I really just forgive it that because I think it's like we talk about all mm -hmm. the time, homosexual fixation starts with the absence of healthy masculine affection, right? And that's father to son and that's brother mm -hmm. to brother. Mm -hmm. And so, it doesn't have to be sexual. It doesn't have to be perverse. We don't have to make it that. You can read it that way and that says more about you than it does about what's objectively mm -hmm. going on in this movie. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting movie to think about that in regards to, I don't know, I mean. In that sense, you could argue that it's an anti-gay movie. Well, actually, I think you really could because what you have is is you have like the fatherless boy decides, I better stay with this guy so he can be my dad. And the other boy is like, I'm going to go with this girl. And so, and and we're going to have healthy brotherly affection. That's not possessive. That's not possessive or sexual. Mm -hmm. That's right. Along the way. Yeah. That, and there, there is that sort of possessive tension. At a Which certain point, every young boy yes. with a friend, especially fatherless yeah. boys or boys with bad fathers, we've uh, they've all been there. They've I, all been I, there and done that. It, it, and it's, it's I was just like, okay, if this is gay, then me and all my friends were gay, and yeah, we were. We come from a gay culture, and we didn't have dads, but 
We weren't gay. Yeah, we weren't, we gay. weren't gay. This it is. It was just like, hey, you fighting over who's going to be whose best friend, and then when girls come into the picture, great. Like, my my friend has a girl now. He doesn't want to spend time with me. That can be devastating for a boy. That yeah, age. and then you have this like weird thing in middle school where it's like, man, I know how to how to get that friend back. It's that girl's a dog. She could be the prettiest girl in school, but if I can get enough guys on board with the fact that she's ugly or that she's got some critical defect, then that's the end of that relationship because my friend will succumb to that pressure. And it's not even conscious, but that is what happens. I, and I think that's part of the underlying psyche of some of those those things that happen, some of those dynamics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, I agree with you guys. I think this this movie, in a weird way, by accident... It's interesting because the gay community is like, we can, we, you know, death of the author. We can, we can read whatever we want to. Because the director has come out and he said, this is not a gay movie. This is, these are all prepubescent people who just don't experience sexuality one way or another. And so, which was just such a cop out. But well, and in so many and, different ways. And has gotten a lot of like, yeah, you don't understand the first thing about gay, queer identity and where it begins and how. Which is, uh, I think, a very fair criticism, actually. But also the director, he's like, that's great if people want, you know, if they find that. We did want to tell a story about otherness and these kinds of things. But this is based on me and my friend and our growing up. And it's it's not gay. This is It's just not about sex. So that's his kind of cop-out way of giving it to them and not giving giving it to them. Right. At the same time, which has made them say, oh, we can still claim it as gay. Like, it still resonates right. for us. It still works for us. And they have a point. Maybe you're more gay than you realize, man. Right. And 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 so so they're like it doesn't matter what the author's intention was, uh, it, it totally works as a gay thing. I kind of want to come back and say it doesn't matter what the author's intention intention was. This works pretty well as a not gay thing. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. and I and I I think like I said before, you can take it even farther and say it actually works pretty well as an anti as an anti gay thing. Yeah, um, I think there's a mistake that Christians make. Oh, we are so queasy about the eroticization of our culture, you know, the the pedophilia that's rampant in our culture and the normalization of that pedophilia. And so it's like, well, you know, I'm an older man in the church. I guess I better not put a hand on this needy young boy's shoulder because that can be read as as sexually perverse. Right. And what you've done is you've deprived that young man of just healthy Mm -hmm. masculine affection from other fathers in the church that make him want that more. Yeah, which is exactly a prime ground for the eroticization of these very things to, yeah. to well, grow and, in. And you've deprived yourself of giving it, which isn't good for you, actually. Right, yeah. You're, you're right. making yourself gayer and you're making the kid gayer by not just being a father and putting a paternal hand on his shoulder. But having said that, it's a tricky subject yeah. be- because there are all kinds of places where our culture is so perverse that normal things are suddenly weighted with these these meanings that you can't escape and that you have to think carefully about it. There might be some a context where it wouldn't be wise to put your hand on someone's shoulder, yep. for example. And it's only going to get worse. This movie made me think a lot about this. They're only going to claim that more and more things are erotic and therefore we're going to feel more and more queasy about just doing normal stuff about adults and children just having nice kind yeah but they do that with everything they do that with david and jonathan they do that with paul and the ephesian elders right and it's just like Hmm, never heard that one 
You have to just put your foot down. Right. You just have to be normal. Yeah, and own normalcy and refuse to give up that ground. I think what we are going to see, here's here's a random prediction to stick in the middle of a, a movie episode. Uh, just as an example of this, I think BDSM stuff is getting more and more normalized. And I think eventually when a corporal punishment for kids is finally outlawed in America, it's probably going to be because they're going to say it's sexual as opposed to oh, yeah. it's just violent. I've already seen these think pieces where I they're like, to. you're perpetrating a sexual act that we all enjoy in the bedroom, obviously, on your kid. How dare you? Yeah, well, and you s- there are places where that crossover is real. Right. But. That doesn't mean we don't discipline our kids. It exactly. Mean right. It doesn't mean I can't put a hand on a, a needy young man's shoulder. That's right. At church, and uh, so all of that to say, I actually don't mind anything in Luca. I don't mind the fact that he's he's holding onto his shoulders pretty tight as they ride their bicycle. All the stuff that oh that that I don't mind at all. Yeah, these read Sorry. like two needy, in some sense, deprived of sexual normalcy. Boys, the kind of boys that could very easily become become gay. Yeah, but the story is just a sweet little story of how they don't become gay, and 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 how they become good friends, and then they find some they find a father figure, and they find a girl, yeah. and you know, not to belabor the point, but it's a sweet little story, actually, with some maybe unfortunate lines of dialogue that yeah, it's, it's they triggered the, there are a couple lines that triggered me. I was like, what. I think I think you're right overall. Read it as an anti-gay film is actually a strong case. I I, I, I don't actually. I was not triggered by anything. I, I, I accept I, that, and it'd be interesting to watch it again, knowing that you were triggered by it. But the, I noticed those lines, but I wasn't like. I think I was just determined. Uh, I'm not trying to say that this is in fact an anti-gay film, or that's the reading we should have, but. I was determined to not accept that any kind of affection between these boys or anything about finding place and finding your place in your way in this world has anything to do with being gay. Uh, okay, yeah, I agree. I'm with you. I, I don't think it's an anti-gay I don't film, think that I don't think any child think... is going to, any child, any reasonably healthy child is going to think that thought or feel that. It is entirely true that a corrupt child, Mm -hmm. a perverted child, an abused child could find all kinds of material to further. That's very true. But 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 that's 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 true of a lot of movies. That's true of the perverse, corrupted child who who is needy, who comes into your congregation, who you put your hand on his shoulder. Right. Right. And so. You don't say it's been eroticized and therefore I can't do it. There's plenty of places where you say, I'm going to de-eroticize this by just saying. We put our hands on shoulders. No, this is normal this and is it's what, not sexual. This is what dads do and it, there's nothing sexual mm-hmm. about it. <sighs> I think we all agree and we're, yeah, I think, the, I think the audience for this podcast understands where we're coming from and it makes sense. So, I don't know what else needs to be said about that subject, Yeah, if I anything. Think... Yeah, clearly they, were, they did not set out to make an anti-gay film. No. And no. they wanted to make something open to interpretation and to... Uh, Toe the line. This is my, from from reading interviews with the director Mm -hmm. and everything, I think this is about what his thought process was. I want to tell a sweet little story about my Italian childhood. I I like Fellini movies and Italian neorealist movies, and I want to 
use Pixar as Pixar does so well in so many places. I want to kind of trigger that nostalgia, even for people who have never seen an Italian film. We all kind of have that the sun drenched little Italian villa thing in our 1950s nostalgia somewhere in our our corporate consciousness. So I want to do that. I want to tell a cute little story about coming of age with my friends. And I would love for it to be open to all kinds of interpretations, whether it's race, whether it's sexuality. Like I want to tell a story about otherness. Mm -hmm. I want to have as much plausible deniability as I can. I want to be able to tell people with a straight face. And I think as a director, I really believe this. I, I do not want to make a gay film. But I, I definitely want it to intentionally be open to that reading. It's like a yeah. kind of plausible deniability you build into the film. Well, sure it can be. Right. That so, was never my intention, but if that's what you took. But I think you have to almost say yeah. it in a slightly nicer tone of voice when you portray it. Because it's not like wink, wink, that wasn't my intention. No. I no, think he really no. he really thought. It's like, I'm going to make certain concessions so I can't be attacked. I, I think he really didn't want to make a gay film. No, I, I, yeah, I yeah. think he wanted to make a film about this generic thing called otherness. He wanted while with every- with with, perfectly understanding that lots of people will uh, take a gay reading of it. Yeah, and while telling himself that's not my reading, he's married to a woman. I, I looked this up because I thought it was important to know, and 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 knowing full well, and and this is maybe the nastiest thing you could say about him, knowing full well, I'm going to get more money and more creative freedom that they're going to be more inclined to let me do what I want on this movie. If I can open it up to have a progressive reading, our woke overlords are going to be happy and feel like we're hitting some progressive check boxes and all that stuff. And so I'm not trying to give the director credit and say that he's a good man or that he played this one in a righteous way. Far from it. I just, I just don't think he set out to make a intentionally subversive yeah, I, homosexual I, movie. I agree. It's almost like he he had a boring little story of his childhood he wanted to tell, and the best way he could do do that is by throwing a like a homosexual covering over it. It's like that's that's the disguise that you have to put on. <laughs> How do I sneak my my normal my story? Weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it really is. I think it's like, uh, uh. oh man, how am I going to get this normal story of like normal people past the censors? Well, maybe I can. Uh, kind of imply that it's gay maybe they'll maybe that'll let it get by <laughs> you know it's so weird and backwards but your kids are not going to be gay because they watched this movie they might not ever pick up on it even being a conversation yay they may despise you right <laughs> yes the, the the larger problem that this movie has is the same problem that disney has had and that hollywood has had and that everyone's had our culture's had since at least the little mermaid and well before Ever since. Mom and dad are idiots who just don't understand. Ugh. And boy, this movie is such a... Oh, it's such a boring version of that. It's, just, it's so boring. And they it's, even went and got the most boring people to play it. Yeah, Gaffigan, Jim Gaffigan and Maya Rudolph. Like, let's get some eh. B-listers in here. Boo. And it's not just artistically boring and entertainment-wise boring. It made me more mad than a lot of these. Because it's like, okay, Triton's a dumb character and he's emasculating to dads. But at least Triton's given the dignity of like being a dad who really cares about <laughs> something. Yeah. He's not just a bumbling, wandering doofus. He's got some potency. And Jim Gaffigan. like they He's give got him- muscles. He's got a beard. He's going to be able to pin Ursula up against the wall, you know? Right. 
and, and when he he might be misguided in his discipline, but when he of raises Ariel, his but, voice, but when he's certainly able to he's do scary. it, it's yeah. scary. Yeah, right. Now you take that and you move forward thirty years through our cultures, slide into depravity, and suddenly we have Gaffigan, and we're going to intentionally write all kinds of lines where he's like, "Well, honey, you go ahead and do the discipline that you think is best," and. They give. They intentionally write. No, so many, I'm going to have some agency in this thing and totally <laughs> screw it kidding. all up and prove that I should just sit, take a back seat to mom. And it's not even funny. It's not like dad was trying to be a good dad, but he screwed it up. Ha ha! Dads are stupid. It's just like, eh, this guy's a beta. That's a, that's a storyteller. By the point. way, I, I know I'm a beta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a thing. <laughs> But it's like, we don't even believe in alphas enough for the fact that he's a beta to really land his comedy. He's just, he's just a beta. Like, I guess, I guess Julia's dad is enough of an alpha <laughs> for the well, whole story. Well, that's a really- Alberto is enough of an al- alpha. Yeah. Yeah. You actually do have some alphas. In this well, one, one thing that- Our villain's an alpha. Yeah. Our, yeah. Well, I mean, Luca's kind of an alpha. We'll talk about the villain in a second. What a lame villain. Oh yeah. But- Boring. I, I think one really- handy piece of propaganda a trope that's it's, it's it's quickly becoming a trope and it was in that disney short what was it called the gay the gay out yeah out i never watched it did you watch um, it yeah i did it's like five minutes long and i watched it without a kid so i, I was just right. curious to see what it was but it's also it's the same trope is so the film the timothy chalamet movie call me by your name has this where which which i've not seen but i, I read a plot to summary or something like that i was curious how close it was to this movie and so in that movie, Chalamet falls in love with Ar- Army Hammer. One of the disgusting details of the movie is that Chalamet is a 17-year-old and then Army Hammer is mid-20s or something like that. And so they even want to play with the perversity of age. But in any case, the father is not the restrictive, nasty father figure that Chalamet has to stand up against. The father is the one who says, why don't you guys go away for a- before you're torn apart for forever for plot purposes, why don't you guys go away for the weekend and have the thing that I never had. Like I, I had this experience. I could have had this experience before I married your mother. I had my army hammer in my life, but I, we, we couldn't do these kinds of things back, back in the restrictive 1920s or whatever. So why don't you guys go have your weekend? And this is, this is just a, a new trope. It's the conservative looking parent who actually proves that he gets it. He gets it and is cool. And, Probably had all the same uh, temptations is not how they would put it, but just lived in a less. Yeah, but he wants his kid to go find himself. Their their idyllic summer ends. Army Hammer goes and gets married to a woman because you can't have long term gay relationships back at this time. And so Chalumet is devastated, and his dad comes and says, "I'm sorry, son." <laughs> that kind of thing. And so this is, I don't know why I'm highlighting this, except for to say, you're going to start seeing this trope all the time, if you haven't already, because I've seen it three or four times in the last year. Well, in, in that sense, it's just grooming parents, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. This is the standard. This is what you have to live up to. This is how to be. This is the template for how to be the cool. Well, and I think it's, 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 what, it's the same thing that we like to say about ni- 1990s feminism being way less prop- good propaganda than current feminism. Because current feminism takes what we like about women and uses that as its disguise. So, so Wonder Woman is allowed to be very feminine. Scarlett Johansson is allowed to be f- very feminine as they 
trample all over the sexual order, as opposed to Dr. Hammond, I can fight dinosaurs with the best of them, you old jerk, which is 90s feminism. Laura Dern? Yeah, Laura yeah. Dern is Laura Dern is like no no self-respecting man likes Laura Dern, like Right, for exactly that reason. She's disgusting, right? But Scarlett Johansson's not disgusting. Our movies tried to tell us that we would for about 20 years. Right. Until <laughs> they learned that you really can't defy gravity. Right. Well, in the same way, for, for 20 years, our movies... You can make it work for you, though. Right, exactly. And so our movies have said, ah, parents are stupid. Like, we, we need to rebel against the dumb parent who just doesn't get it and is authoritarian and is going to, like, stand against you. Okay, that's one kind of propaganda. But here's an even better kind of propaganda. Hey, parents, just be cool. Just love your kids like you should. Like, you don't have... Actually, parents aren't authority figures. They're just your older friends who who get it, or they should be. Yeah, and if they don't, I don't have to tell you to despise them. <laughs> I can just show you what you wish you would have. Right. Instead. Yeah. We don't have to say all parents are stupid. We just neuter the very idea of parents and then disguise it in a parent costume. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of feels parental. It feels like, yeah, we would all like to have a loving dad who understands us when something hard don't happens. Don't you want to be understood? Yeah. And so it's so much more effective as propaganda because it's not thumbing its nose at the truth. It's just kind of pretending like the truth doesn't exist, which is, which is way more sophisticated, way better. The Gospel Coalition will start to fall for it. If they already haven't, they'll, they'll write stupid pieces where they're just mm-hmm. like, ah, you know, the dad did. We should be loving his parents. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> We let's should just, be tender and understanding just, of our kids. And there's a lesson to learn here. Right. We should, obviously, let's we don't Let's just like lay it. this groundwork. It can be one of the two pillars. Right. Just like they wrote pieces about, you know, we should, Wonder Woman had lots of feminine attributes. Ray had mm. lots. Okay. Whatever. So this fisherman guy in the movie, the dad who looks burly and tough, mm-hmm. but then really, he was never accepted because his arm. And, and now- he gets it. He's immediately ready to get it. He's yeah. a softie. You're going to see that trope over and mm-hmm. over and over. It's just, it's going to, you're going to be sick of that trope. It's going to be one of the new things. You're going to see it everywhere. everywhere. I feel like I just saw it somewhere else. I feel like I did too. I know. I think, I feel like I've literally seen it three or four times this year. I couldn't name the movies, but it's, it's just like, it's one of the new tropes. And it gets you. I like that trope, actually. We judged him, actually. It looks like he was going to be. A, a hard line kind of guy but he had his heart of gold you know it's just... well there's the the problem is there's a good version of that where you tell a story about a parent who actually l- learns like okay i have to work a little harder to relate to my kid and not just bring a hammer down right and there's also a good version of that where it's like he is tough he looks tough but but he was tender all along right but he was tender all He's along just a that's good right dad. yeah yeah which is effectively what this when you give this movie the best reading, right? How it works. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you get. <laughs> but but meanwhile, you're stuck with Jim Gaffigan just playing such a. I'm sorry to have to use this word, but I just don't know what else word to use. Such a beta, such a weakling, such a yeah. pathetic, emasculated. And then you have the mom character who's such a total zero oh, of a character. Yeah. And her turn. I, so I always hate that turn. I always hate like 
We were against rock and roll, but then we saw our kid perform in a rock and roll concert and we're suddenly happy for some reason. And now we play rock and roll too. <laughs> we're a rock and roll family. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't think I've ever bought that turn. Like, how many movies have I had to sit through in my decades on this earth where it's like the parents show up for the big performance. They're angry. They're, they're like there to drag their kid and throw him into military school or something i was opposed to the sexy dancer who was dirty dancing with my daughter until i saw him dirty dancing with my daughter wow you guys are really good at sexually debauched (laughs) dancing (laughs) said no dad ever approve now (laughs) i don't even know what is realistic about that like what actual human emotion is that playing on what dad has ever had that response what mom has ever had that response or or, or like the creepiest groomiest version which is billy elliott I've actually never seen Billy Elliot. Good for you. Yeah. It's playing on the fact that you as a kid think if dad could just see. This is what rock and roll is. If he could see it through my eyes, Mm -hmm. he would get it. If I could just get him to listen to the right rap song, hip hop song, then he would get, he would accept the whole genre. If 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 I could just get him to, to watch, you know. This one movie, yeah, I don't know. Right, it yeah. It's a nice fantasy, I guess. This kind of horror yeah. movie. This, this, it, whatever, he'd, he'd accept the whole genre. Mm-hmm. If I could just show him the one thing that would make it all okay. Right. And the fact is, in real life, even if you get your dad to like the one horror movie, he's not going to like the genre. He'll just be like, yeah, yeah, that was okay. You proved that one of them was good. Now go to your room. Yeah, that Will Smith, just the two of us thing. That was cute. The rest of it's trash. Yeah. That's, that's how a real dad would be. <laughs> just on general, like any, even a bad dad, just on general principle would, would land there. So yeah, if there's a reason not to, if there's a real reason to not show this one to your kids, I think it's the Gaffigan and Rudolph characters are just so lamely done, such bad messaging and yeah, just, just stupid. But I don't know. What else is there to say about Luca guys? Not much. Well, we have to talk about the bad guy. Oh boy. What a so, lame. Do we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's part of the cheapness of this movie. I think Just Pixar, general, I think even character. Pixar, at, 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 in a in its prime, has always had a villain problem. Uh, people say Marvel mm-hmm. has a villain problem. I don't think Marvel has a villain problem. I think Pixar's villains are usually mm-hmm. pretty bad. Sid, uh, yeah, Sid is just a generic bully. He's fine, but. He's not a great character. Well, what's what's the what's fun about Sid is his collection of horror toys. Yeah, who turn out to be good guys. And yeah, I. I that's fun. Yeah, they they do something fun with Sid, but he's not a great villain. No, Hopper is a really generic villain, mm-hmm. and uh, just a they don't like bullies. Who does? But it's it's just always like Pickaxe Pete. Was he a good villain? Pickaxe Pete remember. is a good villain, actually. I like his motivation. He just he just wants everything to be perfect. He just wants <laughs> he wants Woody to embrace immortality, but go away from his purpose, uh, which is interesting. Uh, but then they kind of do the same thing with lots of hugs and... I liked him. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was pretty... It was pretty fun. <laughs> uh, that ac- actor just died. Uh, Lotso. Yeah, he did. What, what is his that? name? I don't know. He's like... He was in Superman and some other fun little little parts. Hmm. Ned Beatty. Yeah. Ned Beatty, just died. Yeah. Oh, wow. Was, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Steve Buscemi's character in Monsters Incorporated is a zero, lame. just a lame bully character. Exactly. Incredibles has a good villain. Yep. Yeah, he does. I, I don't feel like Pixar ever, for me, quite lands the gray villain thing, though. 
like with with both Stinky Pete and what is the bad guy's name? Syndrome. Yeah. I, I feel like they do one of two things. Either they cast their villain as just a total one-dimensional bully, and it's just, it's kind of boring and unfair. Like you just created this guy to be bad, which is squarely where Urkel in this movie falls. Like he's just a one-dimensional, boring schoolyard bu- bully kind of villain. But he, but he is. I will say, in defense of it, it is refreshing to just have a a straight up villain villain. I I would agree with that, but. But it's make it still super then. lame and uninteresting. You can make a, mm-hmm. you know, Emperor Palpatine's one of our favorite characters in all of cinema because right. he's just gleefully one-dimensional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He I screams mean, about unlimited power. As <laughs> unlimited power. <laughs> Embrace the dark side. <laughs> okay, that's great. I, nobody loves a one-dimensional villain more than me and more than us, but just to finish my point, on the one hand, they make the one-dimensional, and then on the other hand, they say, they do this trick that I don't really like, where they say, ah, actually, this guy has a really interesting motivation, and you can kind of see his point of view. But then they always kind of, they do it in a way that doesn't feel good to me. It's like they say, ah, you can kind of see this, you know, it's a gray world, and sometimes, and he's a bully. <laughs> yeah. Syndrome, and Syndrome deserves to be blown up in the, you know. <laughs> the propeller. <laughs> like, Syndrome had a really kind of sympathetic point and it drove him to be a bully that's that's kind of always what you know lots of hugs had an interesting point of view and he was a bully he was uh, yeah. stinky pete you can kind of see what he's arguing with ah, he's a bully and maybe you can't in a children's film but they never actually play with the tension of this guy has a relatable point of view you know the whole kind of thanos or huh. name your favorite three-dimensional villain like i, I love a good three-dimensional villain I love a good one-dimensional villain. I don't love a two-and-a-half-dimensional villain, which is what I feel like Pixar gives us. The up guy, my understanding is he's kind of like that. He kind of has a point, but then he's just a jerk. I've never seen up that part of up, though. I might argue that Syndrome escapes that trap just, just because the, I don't know, he feels, his narrative arc feels fair. He's just pathetic and... Yeah, I just I, I wish I didn't feel like Brad Bird hated Syndrome so much at mm. the end of the movie. I just feel like Brad Bird really does. He's just like, come on, the Incredibles are exceptional, and Syndrome, you're a dumb. There is something. I'm, I'm sorry. I know liberals say this, and I should never agree with them, but there is something fascist feeling about the Incredibles to me, and I love that movie, and it's great. And there's your provocative hot take that we will in no way litigate on this podcast, but. There is that kind of Ayn Randian strain that runs. Well, if you're the fan, if you're the fanboy that thinks that they can dictate how the creative awesome people, you you think you can bolster your way to their level and dictate how they. Mm -hmm. Scarf got caught in a a wheel and it broke her neck. That should happen to you, jerk. You don't get to be a creative. It's just like okay, well, I'm sorry that I'm doing a podcast about your work, Brad Bird. (laughs) 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 well and he does the same thing in ratatouille where he's oh yeah you think you can criticize me you should just be finding new things to praise yeah it's like no i'll criticize you we need critics and and he does it really well and it's really interesting and those movies are provocative and you can spend all day talking about them it's one of the things that makes brad bird great but i don't always like where he Mm -hmm. he lands and how he answers these questions i'm glad he likes to answer them or ask them it makes him more interesting than 90 percent of filmmakers out there but i think his answers can be pretty condescending and 
Ayn Randian, if not fascist. No, he's not a fascist. I take back that word. But Ayn Randian is a good frame to put on him, at least. And she was kind of a fascist. So, Brad Bird is a fascist. That will be the title of this podcast. Okay. Anything? So, all of that to say, Urkel was kind of a boring villain. But his sidekicks, though, <laughs> they brought the colorful fun. Especially when they just so easily turned on him. At yeah, the that's, end. A, that's another and completely that's so unmotivated. Boring. Yeah. yeah. Now we're going to bully cheap, the bully. Cheap, cheap. Yes, because we can. I guess. His reign of terror is over. He's been humiliated in front of all of us. No, we hate him too. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> we always did. But now we feel empowered by the mob to turn on him. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was lame. It was. And he, despite his sniveling, cowardly self-survival instincts that have gotten them this far, he's not smart enough to realize the mob. There's no way that guy doesn't realize before he gets humiliated that the mob is. Anyway, I don't know. I just don't like bullies and stories. I think they're they're almost always a cheap storytelling trope. Like, here's a guy who's a jerk. It can be done well. I love Biff Tannen. But that's just because <laughs> that's just because they lean into it. They're just like, yeah. ah, Biff's a bully. And in every culture, you go back to Old West, there's going to be a bully. And you go into the <laughs> future. Tannen, like, there's there's going to be Biff Tannen. Right. And he's aggressively evil. Biff Tannen is just like, we are aggressively making this guy as one-dimensional or two-dimensional as, as possible. Like He is evil and stupid right. in and, a way that is humorous. Yeah, it's kind of funny <laughs> until he goes to sexually assault a woman and then he's just a bad guy because that's, yep. that's who Biff is. I don't know. Sometimes you can have an but Well, then it doesn't always – it's never – it doesn't feel nearly as mean either the way that they end it because they always just dump a bunch of poop on him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The message True. of those movies isn't Biff should be destroyed. It's Biff should be a janitor. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Actually, Actually the guy who that is the pretty funny. Of the awesome people. <laughs> now, Biff, don't con me, Biff. <laughs> I was just starting the second coat of wax, Mister McFly. <laughs> right. <laughs> that Biff, always a joker. Right. <laughs> That's great. Which I kind of like. Biff is in his proper place. Right. Yes. It's <laughs> awesome. The world is made right. Oh. So Biff is a good bully. I was just think I was thinking through good bullies. Gaston is a great villain, I think, precisely because he starts as a Biff Tannen kind of. He's just a dumb jock that everybody likes and empowers, and then he becomes a psychopath. Yeah. He's like, oh, I know how to lead the mob. Right. But the way that it tracks in the in the original ninety two version for a seventy minute movie, the way that it tracks is really nice. I, you don't feel like Gaston was always a psychopath. You feel like he got too full of himself and got mad and. Jilted. Jilted and, you know, it just, it tracks. Whereas it's, whereas with Syndrome, it's like, ah, after that one incident at eight years old, he was a psychopath. (laughs) (laughs) Syndrome. And he does not deserve your sympathy. uh, Syndrome's a great character, by the way. I was too, I was, I was being hard on him to make a point, but I love Syndrome. I love that idea. It's really interesting. I just don't quite, I've never been quite comfortable with killing him off or with exactly where Brad Bird lands with it. Mm -hmm. Um it's cute. It's cute the way that they kill him off, if one can use that word for... As far as villain deaths go, it's it's very clever <laughs> it's and, and well set up in the movie, and he wore a cape and everything. Whatever. Who are the other famous good movie bullies? How do we feel about Draco Mal- Malfoy, as, as, as long as we're litigating bullies? <sighs> Outside of the world of Pixar? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Draco? How do we feel about Draco? I was watching... Mer- Meredith's been watching you, through Harry K- Potter. K- we K- just watched num- part two, and it's like the Malfoys show up, and they're like... Yeah. Jeremy Irons is awesome. It's not Jeremy. No, 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 no. Uh, is it not? It's David. 
No, it's um, it's What's the guy name? from the Patriot. Uh, I yeah. know, Jason, Jason Isaacs. I yeah, want to call him David yeah, Isaacs. Isaacs. Yep. Yeah, he's like Isaacs. Oh, you've got some dirt on your bag, Malfoy. They're he's, just like yeah. he's awesome. They're pretty two dimensional, but they they do a good job with it. Yeah, I mean, child acting is and good child acting is notoriously difficult to find. And Draco may not have been the best. The, 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 I he's pretty great. I think I think Rowling actually did a good job with him. She said, "I have a school story. Obviously, we need a bully character." And then somewhere uh, when she did her, when she finally had to think about how I'm going to end this thing, somewhere around book four, she's like, "Okay, I guess I have to humanize this guy and his family." And I think she she did a pretty good job. It's too bad she wasn't. She obviously wasn't thinking about that from book one. Eh, maybe it's for the best. I don't well, know. Well, she wasn't thinking about that with Snape either. Right? Who's your adult boy? Yeah, and in both cases, bully. I think she has to work harder than she. If she'd done more work at the beginning, she would have had to do less. And yeah, she had plotted mm-hmm. it out right better from the beginning, but she did a good job of recovering everything. Right, it could have been slightly more elegant <sighs> if she'd always built it that way. But yeah, but for, for what she has to do to back engineer it, she does. She does. She a does great I, job. She's really genius at back engineering things. So yeah, I, I think I love the the little things in the later movies where Malfoy has has to sit there next to his dad and. Yeah, his teacher's up there and just hovering over the table and he's going to kill her. Right. With his dad's wand. Right. And he has to just sort of sit there and process this and his life. And is this really who he wants to be? And Yeah, I think she did a good job with that. Figure, he has to kill Albus Dumbledore or Voldemort's going to kill him. Like, what a horrifying position. Because his dad sucks. Right. What a horrifying mm-hmm. position to be in. Oh, that's... Nice. Right. In its way. Nicely yeah. told. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. So, that helps us, our, our discussion of, of Luca. Now people know what to think. Now they do. Uh, what else is there to say about Luca, guys? I don't think it's actually been clear on this podcast what we actually think about Luca. Like, Luka Djokovic you... is a killer basketball player. Luca Malkovich? Yeah, that's what it, yeah. Got it. Being Luca Malkovich? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a fine, sweet little film that is not up to Pixar standards in terms of story quality and shortcuts and cheap little tricks that they pull. But minus the lame parents, I had fun with it. I had fun I with liked it. it. It was I fine. Sweet, it was a sweet little I like uh, the soundtrack. I like some of the animation. Thing with me and Amanda. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. It's fine to watch with your with your kids. It's gonna be a zero it's not gonna be like it's gonna be a one and done. Yeah, your kids aren't gonna want to come back to this probably. Yeah, they're not gonna be like, oh let's watch Luca again. No, they're just going to be glad that they got to sit and watch something colorful and fun. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it might be a relatively harmless, like a weak batch of virus that you could use for some inoculation with the parents. In other words, it might be a good movie to discuss the tropes of uh-huh. the lame, emasculated dad and the, the yeah. if you, if you need a movie that just makes it really obvious and clear cut to, to have that discussion with a, a younger kid, this, this one might not be a, I'd rather use this one than The Little Mermaid, for for example, yeah. just because it's so clear cut here yeah. and, and so sort of sidelined. It's a, such a horrible caricature that you could just be like, you know, hey, what do you think about the mom and dad in that movie? Mm-hmm. Why do you think that they made mom and dad like that? Right. Can you think of other places that they made moms and dads look stupid like that? And the whole not, notion of- did, Does that honor God? Is that a good mom and dad? Like- yeah. Really easy to have that conversation. Yeah. And to tease out the notion that 
when mom and dad forbid something, it must be because it's cool and awesome and mom and dad don't understand. Yeah. Which is just standard trope number 37 in these movies, but... Teaching your kids how to be fools. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, as a, well, like I said earlier, I think in this version of the podcast, we've been going through Proverbs and uh, in Church of the King's sermon series, and it's uh, pretty, pretty one-to-one, not what King Solomon says. He's like, you should listen to your parents. They probably know a thing or two. If they forbid something, it's probably because it will kill you and be terrible, and they understand that better. <sighs> If you want to get ahead in life, you need to catch up to your parents so that you can build on them instead of reject the wisdom they've accumulated over the course of their lifetimes. Well, one of the interesting and sad and depraved things about a movie like this is it doesn't even feel the need to do the work of saying, here's why we're scared of the, the other land. Like, here's the scary stories that we tell, or here's the misinformation that we have, Mm -hmm. or here's the time when dad's fin got caught in somebody's engine or something like, it's just like, oh, well, obviously parents are restrictive and stupid and don't understand. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's boring. It's so boring. It almost in that sense, I was wondering for a half second the other day, is this like a class parable or something? <laughs> is this like the people, those people under the water, like they, they don't educate their kids and they're scared of us land dwellers. I don't know. Well, again, the message just, is so muddled, muddled in that case, because then it's like, the poor shepherds, they it, really don't understand the big city folks, which is not a message that Disney no, would ever want to. No, of course not. Of course not. It just, <laughs> I just think it's carelessly made. Yeah, and that it's, accounts it's, it's for why careless. you could even think that for a second. Yeah. <laughs> it's a class parable, wherein if poor people could just understand <laughs> that rich people are cool. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, dear. It doesn't even really work as like a Montague Capulet. No, no, no. It wants to. I think that's that's what it wants to do is say it's two civilizations it's just that they so, don't really understand. It's just so clumsy. It's really clumsy. Uh, um, but I liked the second act. It was just fun to live in this little Italian villa. Yeah, and, yeah, you yeah. Know. It's pretty beautiful little Italian villa. Yeah, it has some <laughs> of that European exoticism and some 1950s nostalgia that they managed to plan. Now, I will say that reminds me. The name Miyazaki gets dropped in talking to, about this movie all the time. The director said, Talking about Luca? Yeah. Yeah. The director said, Oh, we were trying to do like a Miyazaki thing. And so people use it. Ah, it's, it's Pixar's attempt to do a Miyazaki thing. Now, what an insult. <laughs> You, yeah, should, you should see. So apparently, Jake and Ben didn't have this information, folks. No, no. you should see the look on their faces right now. <laughs> well, okay, I, the, don't, I don't, I don't, I just don't see. I think I did think of. I actually, okay, I'll give it this. I did think a little bit of my neighbor Totoro because it's so much like, yeah, this is what it's like to be boys when you're this age and you feel like outcasts. And and well, of course, there's a villain because we have to have a dumb villain, but we don't care about him. We just care about this this feeling of like being kids. And but here's the thing: all those tropes, like we have to have a dumb villain. Those not having those things are some of the the foundational, like the DNA, the genius of Miyazaki. Like yeah. Miyazaki, he really would just make a movie where a fish person hung out with a human and they did boring stuff. For yep. two hours. And it would feel magical and yep. beautiful. Yep. Yep. And there'd be no crisis. There'd be no, I like, know. wouldn't need it. Yeah. I know. I know. They would, need, they would need no lame villain. They would need no lame parents to, that could actually be pretty cool and strong. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're basically, there just wouldn't be a conflict. There wouldn't be a hero's journey. There wouldn't be anything. It he just, wouldn't need it. Yeah. Because like, that's not the story he's trying to tell. 
You would need to yeah. pretend and yeah. do all these cheap little tricks and Agree. things. And it's sad that Pixar wanted to evoke that, that the director wanted to evoke that kind of feeling and that they just didn't have the confidence to just do it because they, they actually Or could. ability. Or ability. Like, it could be done. I don't know if this guy could have done it, but. I think the question is moot because I don't think that, I don't think he would have been allowed to. At some point, somebody's uh-huh. going to say, we're making this movie for an audience. It has to follow a formula. It has to have like a bad guy or, or a thing or a conflict. Like, what's your conflict? Fair enough. I ask those yeah. kinds of questions of us when we're breaking a Ville episode or a Chip and Lance skit or something. You have to ask those kinds of questions, but you also have to be willing to have the answer be, we're not doing that kind of story. We're doing something else. We're doing something interesting. And Pixar has the clout to take those kinds of risks, actually. Right. It's just the, one of the only companies in existence that could just say, we would like to be the American Miyazaki for this movie. We just want to tell mm-hmm. a sweet little story where you just live with these characters and they do boy things well now imagine what that movie could have been like like that movie could have been awesome and insofar as the second act of this movie kind of has a little bit of that feeling Mm -hmm. that's when it's the best you know when he's just like learning about astronomy and then Mm -hmm. suddenly we have a little cute animated sequence where he's like going through the stars and it's very Mm -hmm. evocative music and stuff those little moments are nice, and it's what makes this movie worth watching, if, it, if it's worth watching at all, mm-hmm. um, which I'd say it barely scrapes into the worth watching category, but, do, but it does. Like, I would recommend watching this movie once. Mm-hmm. But when you think about what it could have been, it's, it's kind of sad. Mm-hmm. Gosh, is there anything else to say? They need a job saying, no, you guys, you didn't get it. Not yet. Yeah, or Disney. It's like Disney with Sleeping Beauty. And he's like, uh, we always design these movies so well but then our animation always looks the same what if we what if we just like actually made it look like a fairy tale like what if we just did the thing yeah you needed somebody at the top to say you guys keep talking about wanting to make this as much as like a miyazaki movie as possible what what if we just did that like what if yeah. what if we just had the confidence to uh, to go for it scrap the villain scrap the three-act structure well, i mean there, i don't know where i've seen this and uh, what the actual stories are but i've seen stories of uh, Pixar actually being ready to to release something and Jobs pulling a plug on it and saying it's not there yet. It's just not. Yeah, yeah. I, like I, somebody has to be holding the bar. Well, and that's the kind of thing that Lasseter would have done all right? the time, and it's why there's a lot, a lot of people who have been paid good money to not talk about their experiences with Pixar because they came in with ideas. The woman who did Brave specifically, and the person who started Ratatouille came in with concepts and developed them and developed them and developed them. And then Lasseter and his brain trust were like, nope, nope, we're not doing that. And that was apparently their creative process was just refine, 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 which by the way is anyone's sensible creative process. But yeah, particularly with animation is how you kind of have to work. So you can lean into it and make it work for you or you can be DreamWorks. All right. Anything else to say about Luca? Ben? Nope. Anything else to say about bullies or Miyazaki? Or nope. Gay parables? Nope. Jake, same questions? Bullies are such a lazy, socially acceptable villain. There, I repeated it. That's all. I, Nothing else to say. I hate bullies. Not, I, I don't hate You them. love actual bullies. Right. Actual but. bullies I like, but bullies in stories, just almost always a, a, a lazy I know we already said I know that everybody hates a boy and so it's just like come on guys 
Yeah, it's like casting a Nazi as your villain. Exactly. Like, okay, well, I guess we can all hate this person. We don't. We don't actually have to write a villain. We just say he's a Nazi. We don't actually have to write a villain. We just say he's the bully. That's not good storytelling. There are places to intentionally use shortcuts. Back to the Future might be one of them. Harry Potter might be one of them. Like you can you can use a shortcut smartly, but when your default is I'm not going to do the work of writing something, I'm just going to take a shortcut. That's lame. Mm-hmm. And when you have, I mean, look, I hated high school and I hated school in general, but I don't have such a chip on my shoulder that I've like made my entire career out of getting back at those three things that happened to me. Like who, I just want to ask who hurt you director of Luca? Like who is the jerk in your life that Urkel is based on? And why did you waste my time parodying him? <sighs> probably no one. Probably you just took a standard trope out of the lazy trope box and yeah. used it. Okay, Luca, it's a movie. You can watch it with your kids or not. And it took us two hours to tell you that. But I'll tell you what won't take us two hours is talking about our favorite person whose name I'm pulling up right now. They are the latest recipient of the Patron Choice Award of Awesomeness. And their name is Keith. Ben, tell us about Keith and how awesome he is. Keith swims through the sea of ideas like a fish, and he flies through the sky of cultural discernment like the flying fish. I was afraid you were going to say like a human. Like a man on a Vespa. <laughs> like a man on like a Like a man on a Vespa. Well, Jake, I'm just not that creative. I'm sorry. <laughs> that, was, that was a nice backhand. Uh, nothing better than a circular insult. All right. Well, Keith, you are our patron award of awesomeness receiver today. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. Oh, and until next time, Silencia Bruno. The line that was designed to be memorable to for this moment. Ah, uh, yeah, we just need a memorable thing. A thing that can be a catchphrase that people will... Yeah. Boo. 